0: Worship this morning. So the title of the sermon is being in being salt and light. We believe in being salt and light. I almost entitled this sermon Dancing in the Minefield. And if you've read ahead on this statement of the Baptist Faith and Message, you would understand what I mean by that. You know, it's interesting. Every one of these statements of faith, at some point in church history, were controversial. There was a time where the Trinity was a controversy. The idea that Jesus, as God, 100% God, 100% man, these doctrines were fought over and, and worked out and fleshed out uh, throughout church history. Uh, within our past generation or so, it was uh, the doctrine of the Bible. What is Scripture? was controversial. It caused a rift in Southern Baptist churches left the convention because of our belief over the nature and the inspiration and authority of Scripture. Well, today, this statement on the Christian and the social order encompasses a lot of issues that are equally controversial today. And in fact, there are denominations that are splitting over these issues, such as uh, the United Methodist Church. You may have seen the news yesterday 70 Methodist churches in the North Georgia Conference have disaffiliated from the national convention over, or national denomination over some of these very issues. And the struggle isn't just over specific issues that we'll look at in brief this morning. Each one of these could warrant their own sermon, and we'll look at them briefly. But in general, what role should Christians play in society? Do we have a responsibility to stand up for what we believe the Word of God teaches? Even and especially when it's at odds with our society. Well, let's look together what the Baptist faith and message has to say. All Christians are under obligation to seek to make the will of Christ supreme in our lives and in human society. Means and methods used for the improvement of society and the establishment of righteousness among men can be truly and permanently helpful only when they are rooted in the regeneration of the individual by the saving grace of God in Jesus Christ. In the spirit of Christ, Christians should oppose racism, every form of greed, selfishness, and vice, and all forms of sexual immorality, including adultery, homosexuality, and pornography. We should work to provide for the orphaned, the needy, the abused, the aged, the helpless, and the sick. We should speak on behalf of the unborn and contend for the sanctity of all human life from conception to natural death. Every Christian should seek to bring industry, government, and society as a whole under the sway of the principles of righteousness, truth, and brotherly love. In order to promote these ends, Christians should be ready to work with all men of goodwill in any good cause, always being careful to act in the spirit of love without compromising their loyalty to Christ and His truth. There's a lot to unpack there. We won't get to all of it, but we will try to hit the highlights of this. Now, some today would hear that statement and say that it reeks of Christian nationalism. How dare we try to impose our religious views on other people? Can't we just believe what we want and keep it to ourselves? Not if we're to be faithful to the Word of God. Not if we're to be obedient to the commands of Christ. The least of which we find in our text for today in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. And we've already heard this reference to mention this morning. Jesus said, this is early in the beginning of His Sermon on the Mount, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. I want us to focus on three things this morning, and I've Once again, try to make the notes a little simple in your order of worship today, but there are a few fill-in-the-blanks. Who are we in the world? Jesus said, in this world, we are to be salt and light. Now, these are everyday objects. These are easy things for us to associate with. We see light uh, everywhere we go. Uh, We've all probably eaten some salt already today. So these are things that we are familiar with, but these are also change agents. They affect the things that they touch and interact with. And the properties of both salt and light can help us think about our role in society as the people of God. Let's look first at the properties of salt. Ben's already mentioned some of these. Uh, First is that salt seasons. Salt seasons. As Ben said, without food, uh, without salt, food can be bland, right? It can be a little tasteless. It helps to enhance the flavor of foods. And as Christians, not only should our lives be seasoned by God's grace, but we should help to season the lives of others with His grace. We should help highlight the goodness of God and help people to see the blessings of God in their lives. We should help to bring out the best in our society and show people what an abundant life is like. We should make Christianity desirable and attractive to the lost. And, and kind of along these lines, you know, salt also creates thirst, doesn't it? It makes you thirsty. You know, you, you, you go to a football game or baseball game and you're eating your salted peanuts. It makes you want something to drink. It creates thirst. And our lives should help people hunger and thirst for Jesus Christ. Our lives should pique people's interest. Salt season. Secondly, salt preserves. It has historically, for, I guess, throughout human history, been used to slow the process of decay in meats. And we are to be those agents of preservation in our society to keep our fallen world from decaying any further. We should exert a moral influence on our culture to help slow it down from further spiraling into more and more depravity. Can you imagine the world we'd be in if the Spirit of God and the church and the Word of God were just to disappear from the world? It would end in total and utter chaos. Third, salt purifies. Purifies. It can be used to clean. This is why a lot of swimming pools have salt water in their pools. It's a purifying Agent. And as Christians, our lives should bring an element of purity to an otherwise corrupt culture. We are to be those by whom God's purifying Word is made known so that His standard of righteousness can be revealed to other people. We are purifying agents. And number four, salt irritates but heals. How many of you have ever been in the ocean maybe and you had a cut on your hand or a scrape on your leg? What does it do? It burns, doesn't it? It irritates, that that sting. There's a reason we have an expression about pouring salt in a wound. You're not supposed to do that, right? Because it irritates, it's unpleasant, but it also can help generate healing. Well, through the witness of His people, Jesus desires to draw the broken, the wounded, the hurting to Himself. We are to be agents that help facilitate God's healing work in people's lives, but in the process of doing that, it stings. We irritate. Not that we're supposed to be intentionally irritating. Don't mishear me. But when you're speaking God's truth and you're living God's ways to people who have the open sores of sin in their life, it can irritate. Well, let's also look at the properties of light. The first is that light brings life. We read in Psalm 36, 9, For with you, God, with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. And the meaning of this cryptic cryptic phrase is is found in the priestly prayer of number 6, the prayer of Aaron, where it says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn His face toward you. And give you peace. God is the source of life and light. There's a reason why He created light on the first day. It is the source of life and blessing. And to have God's face shine on you is to receive His favor. It's to have God's grace radiate into our lives and bring us eternal life. And if we are to be little L lights of the world, that city on a hill that cannot be hidden, shining out the capital L light of the world, then we are helping people experience the life that Jesus Christ died to give them. Life that's abundant and eternal. Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16 that we are to be blameless and pure children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine like stars in the world by holding firm to the Word of life. As we hold firm to the Word of life, we are to shine like stars to a crooked and perverted generation Generation, we shine the light of God's truth before others in such a way that they see our good works, they glorify God, and prayerfully, hopefully, are drawn in faith to Him. Which tells us that not only does light bring life, but light reveals. It reveals, in Psalm one nineteen one o five. it says that God's Word is to be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. So just as you're going on a hike, and, and I always loved uh, the night hike, we'd go on uh, on the Gatlinburg mission trip every day, Labor Day weekend, and you'd have some, somebody at the front would have a flashlight, and somebody at the back would have a flashlight, and everyone else had no flashlight. The goal was to sort of experience that darkness, and we would hike in the silence and listen to the nature around us. But you had to have somebody with a light They could say there's a root right here and kind of stand there and shine the light on the root, you know. And so the light shows us obstacles to avoid, dangers to avoid. It reveals the correct path that we're to walk on. Without light, we can't learn. We can't read. We can't observe. We can't discover truth without light. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, you ourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You are, you show that you are Christ's letter, delivered by us, not written with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. We as Christians are to reveal the Word of God to others as the expression says, you may be the only Bible some people ever read. No pressure, right? Now, that's not to say that your life alone can convey the gospel. Your life alone can't convey the gospel. You know, it's like that people say, preach always, if necessary, use words. It's necessary to use words. But even though our lives can't convey the gospel, our lives should corroborate the gospel. Our lives should be one other piece of evidence to show the truthfulness and faithfulness of the Word of God. Light reveals. And thirdly, sort of like how salt irritates but cleanses, but heals, light exposes and cleanses. Think of a side of your house maybe that doesn't get full sun. It's more likely to grow mold and mildew, isn't it? But you, know, you might have a piece of, of fabric in your house or a piece of furniture that's kind of gotten dusty and musty and you bring it outside and the sun has the ability to purify it, to cleanse it. Sunlight does that. It helps to clean and purify things. And, of course, we know that light is used as a security measure, isn't it? Because people who are up to no good typically don't want a spotlight shining on them. They, they want to do it in the, in the dark. And I think it's this very exposure. Just as the salt heals, but it does it in a way that irritates. We as light can be cleansing agents in our society, but as we do, we're exposing people's evil deeds and they don't like that. Jesus said in John 3, just a few verses after the famous John three sixteen. Jesus said, This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed, but anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished. By God, Another pastor I read kind of sums all this up about light. He said, Light shatters darkness, it illuminates the pathway, and it enables all to see things as they really are. I like that. But light is no good unless you shine it, correct? A flashlight's useless when it's off. We don't light our lamp and put it under a basket. We put it on a stand so that the light can penetrate the house. Salt in the salt shaker does no good. You've got to get it out of the shaker and into your food. And in the same way, as Christians, we can't just retreat into our little Christian subculture while the world burns around us. We can't allow the humanistic secularists and the liberal progressives to bully us into silence and just to keep our beliefs to ourselves. That's one of the ways we got where we are today as a country, guys. For too long we've just been content with being that silent majority. And we've abdicated our duty as light bearers and assault. There are some vital issues that hold enormous impact in our lives, our families, and our nation. And I know that today, you know, and everything's political. I mean, that's one of the tragedies of our country right now. Everything's political. You can't talk about anything without it being turned to politics, without somebody getting offended. And again, as I said, it used to be talking about the Trinity would have offended people. Today, when we talk about these issues, it offends people. People get uncomfortable. Even within this room and, and, and within the people watching online and, and listening on the radio, I'm sure there are going to be different opinions And beliefs and ideas about the things that I'm going to talk about. And and that's fine. And you can disagree with me all you want. That's fine. But I humbly implore you to seriously consider what the Word of God says. If you can't trust what God's Word says about these issues, how can you trust John 3.16? How can you trust any of it? We are salt and light in the world. So the second point, what do we do in the world? We preserve and illuminate. True belief always includes action. And if we say we believe something, but we don't speak up on it, we don't act on it, the question is, do we really believe it? How deeply do we hold these convictions? So I want to briefly look at a few of these areas in our article in the Baptist Faith and Message this morning. The first is racism. Now, in talking about the doctrine of humanity a few weeks ago, I talked about the sin of racism. And I've preached sermons on this in the past. It is a sin to treat anyone as less than somebody created in the image of God. It is a sin to treat anyone as less than someone that God created in His image and loved enough that Jesus died for them. The color of your skin, your ethnicity, your national heritage has no bearing on your sacred worth or your value to society. None. Paul writes in Colossians 3, verse 11, In Christ, there's not Greek. And Jews, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, those don't exist in Christ. But Christ is all and is in all. Paul, in preaching to the men of Athens, said in Acts 17, From one man, God has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their approved times and the boundaries of where they live. In other words, your ethnic heritage, the color of your skin, God placed you where He wanted you to be. You are there. You are that person. You have that skin color. You have that ethnic background because God made you that way. And why? He goes on to say He did this so they might seek God and perhaps might reach out and find Him though He is not far from each of us. Now, as Southern Baptists, we have to acknowledge that we got this terribly, terribly, tragically wrong in the past. The Southern Baptist Convention came about in the milieu of a culture divided over the issue of slavery. And we were on the wrong side of that issue. And long after the Civil War and throughout the Jim Crow era in the South, too many Southern Baptists held to racist beliefs and ideas and helped to support and advance tragic injustices. Thanks be to God... We as a convention have long since repeated, repented, excuse me, not repeated, repented of those beliefs and corrected those behaviors. We have faced up to that past and dealt with it. But the problem today is that the nature of the conversation around race has drastically changed, really just within the past few years. From Black Lives Matter to the 1619 Project to the to the influence of critical race theory in our corporations and higher institutions. What was once seen as repentant and tolerant and diverse is now insufficient, if not outright racist itself. It used to be that it was the thing to say that we don't want to treat anybody any different because of the color of their skin. Treat everybody the same. That's now racist. It used to be that we were to fight for equality Equality of treatment, equality before the law, equality of opportunity. No, equality is not enough. It has to be equity of outcomes. Ibram X. Kendi is one of the great proponents of CRT's, the author of a book called How to Be an Anti-Racist, and he says in his book, the only remedy to racist discrimination is anti-racist discrimination. The only remedy to past discrimination is present discrimination. The only remedy to present discrimination is future discrimination. I disagree. The only remedy to all of that is Jesus Christ. It's seeing each other through the eyes of God. He argues that claiming to be not racist, if you say, I'm not racist, that's just a mask for your racism. And if you disagree with him, it's because you're racist. And he redefines racism as any policy or idea that results, again, not in racial inequality, but racial inequity. I believe that itself is... Bigotry and racism, it's the soft bigotry of low expectations. And it still is seeing people purely as the color of their skin and treating them differently. And we as Christians must reject this divisive, unbiblical philosophy. We must expose these destructive lies and preserve what is good and true about the progress that has been made in these last 150 years. Does that mean that we have arrived? Does that mean that we're perfect? Does that mean that there's no racists in our culture today? Of course not. But we shouldn't throw out the progress that has been made. Tony Evans, a famous African-American pastor, Baptist pastor, said this, God is not colorblind, but neither is He blinded by color. We are of every tribe and nation and God sees us. But the only subject of the Bible is the glory of God and the advancement of His kingdom. We are never to allow the politics of men to break up our togetherness. So stand together as the Lord sends you. Amen. As Christians, we are called to love and reach and accept into the body of Christ everyone who comes by faith and repentance to Jesus, regardless of their background. We're to welcome everyone from every tribe, nation, and tongue into the body of Christ. Because guess what? As we heard on the day of Pentecost, people from every tribe, nation, and tongue in Jerusalem came to faith in Jesus and became a part of the church. As we know, in heaven, around God's throne, worshiping Him with one voice will be people from every tribe, nation, and tongue. We celebrate that diversity and we strive toward unity. Second issue. Excuse me, one that's probably a little bit less controversial. We stand against greed, selfishness, and vice. Now, we live in a consumer-driven culture that tells us that greed is good and that he who dies with the most toys wins. We live in a culture that tells us to follow your dream, follow your heart, you do you, be true to your authentic self. Personal fulfillment and happiness are raised up as the highest aims in life. And to... To feed that philosophy what once was a vice is now celebrated as a virtue, and vice versa. <laughs> but Jesus said in Matthew six twenty four that no one can be a slave to two masters, since either he will hate the one and love the other, or or be devoted to one and despise the other, you cannot be slaves of God and money. Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.10. He says, The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Jesus instead calls us to deny ourselves, take up the cross of sacrificial service, and follow Him. We are to consider the needs of others before our own, to seek the benefit of our neighbors and even our enemies above ourselves. Jesus said the true path to peace and joy is to seek first the kingdom of God, not the materialistic gains of this world. In Isaiah 5.20, the prophet writes, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Is, that, is there not a better description of our culture today? What once was a virtue is now a vice. What once was a vice is now a virtue. What once was racist is now not racist. And what was once not racist now is racist. As salt and light, we are to expose the emptiness and vanity of the spirit of the age and point people to the true path to peace, joy, and abundant life. And it's a path of self-denial. It's a path of surrender. It's a path of sacrificial service to other people. And so we must stand against greed, selfishness, and vice. The next topic is that of sexual immorality. We are reaping the consequences of the sexual revolution of the 1960s. And some of you were there then. (laughs) I was not. Today's so-called sexual freedom is one of the most insidious and stifling of all enslavements. And it's the greatest reversal of vice and virtue in human history. Sexual sins, once considered perverted, deviant, and destructive, not that long ago, by the way, are now celebrated and legitimized. They've got names like pansexual, panromantic, omnisexual, and spectrosexual. Sounds like that should have like a laser light show with it or something We used to have simpler words for these, like sin, fornication, being promiscuous, sleeping around. But now they've got fancy technical names. They're legitimized as normal. Even more than that, they're lauded as being good. And if you question this, if you call these behaviors deviant or sinful, if you refuse to affirm and celebrate them, you're hateful, you're bigoted, you're intolerant, and you're a radical. The proliferation of online pornography, the sexting culture, hook-up apps the normalizing of pornography through mainstream media have all desensitized us to the horrific nature of sexual sin, its emptiness, and the enormous lingering negative impacts it has on our souls, our relationships, and our society. Jesus said again in the Sermon on the Mount, but I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Sex doesn't just sell today, it's a cultural powerhouse. The LGBTQAI plus, ampersand, Sand, tilde, whatever. That agenda is one of the most powerful forces in Western culture today. These are now the powers that be. They hold increasing societal sway. It is, after all, June, right? So it's Pride Month you can't escape it right now. What began as an attempt to normalize homosexual behavior and now transgenderism and a host of other lifestyle choices no longer has tolerance as its goal. That's not the goal anymore. It's not the, the goal is not just be nice to people. It's acceptance, affirmation, and celebration. This Ideology, this agenda, and I'm not talking about individuals who are dealing with these things. I'm talking about the overarching agenda and ideology in our culture. It wants to remake society, redefine family, and indoctrinate children in its own image. That's its goal. It's an ideology, and it's a cult-like ideology where you can't question it. You have to believe and hold to its tenets with faith. Because there's no scientific research to back up their claims. None. We aren't where we are as a culture today because there was some great scientific discovery. It's cultural. It's political. And the different factions within this multifaceted community, all those colors on the flag, they all hold conflicting views with each other. And they do not hold up to the basic rules of logic. However, the biblical... Christian sexual ethic, the millennia-old view of, of gender, are backed up by science and statistics and logic. And I have time to go into all that today, maybe someday, but not right now. But I'd be glad to talk with anybody who wants to debate those things. The problem is, is that people on that side don't want to debate those things. They want to call you names and cancel you for questioning them. That's what they do. Now listen, as Christians, our great challenge is to hate sin, but love the sinner. And I know people hate that phrase, but it's true. Our call is to speak the truth courageously, but compassionately. Because God doesn't hate homosexuals. God loves people that are struggling with their gender identity. He loves them so much, He sent Jesus to die for them, to forgive them of their sin and set them free. We must stand truthfully, in love, courageously and compassionately on these truths. Our culture is dying over this issue. The soul of our nation is dying over this issue. Another issue that, again, kind of you're know, peppering these, some controversial ones with some non-controversial ones. The next one is helping people in need. I think we can all agree on that one, can't we? As Christians, we have a responsibility to reach out to those who have less than we do. Those who are suffering, suffering and struggling to minister to them in tangible ways, to help the poor, to feed the hungry, to visit those who are sick and in prison. You know, Jesus said that when we do that for the least of these, we've done it unto Him. He calls us to proclaim the gospel and make disciples, but part of that means that we share our resources with those who have less. It means we sacrifice our time and our energy to serve others in Jesus' name. And then the last issue we'll talk about today, again, another controversial one, especially today, with politics and the Supreme Court decision coming down, and that's the sanctity of life. As Christians, we hold that all human life is sacred, of infinite worth and value, from the moment of conception to the moment of natural death. Now, some of you may say, now, wait a minute, it's that moment of conception part that I have trouble with. Where do you get that from? Where does that conviction come from? Two primary places I want to mention today. And and again, a whole other sermon right here. First from Scripture. John the Baptist leapt for joy within Elizabeth's womb because he sensed Jesus in Mary's womb nearby. The incarnation didn't happen at Jesus' birth, but at His conception as the Holy Spirit came upon Mary. That's when God entered human flesh. God told the prophet Jeremiah, I chose you before I formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were born. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. David wrote in Psalm 139, For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. Before he was born, God knew him. God formed him. God called Jeremiah before he was born. Of course, you know, the Bible tells us that all people are created in God's image and infinitely loved by their Creator and that we are not to murder. We're not to take anybody's innocent life. And so we oppose abortion and euthanasia and any form of assisted suicide. And we do this on biblical, philosophical, and ethical grounds. But also on medical and scientific grounds. There are some amazing... Arguments to be made from the pro-life side that don't even have to use the Bible. Science tells us that a human embryo is a distinct human individual with its own DNA. Its own unique DNA. It's not a potential human life. It's a human life with potential. And as that child grows and develops within its own mother's womb, it is its own body with its own fingerprints with its own heartbeat, with its own blood type, and eventually with its own brainwaves. And to deny this is to deny science and reason. God is the giver of life, and as human beings, we have no right to shed innocent blood. This isn't just social. This isn't just political. This is a deeply spiritual and ethical issue with enormous cultural consequences. The same is true for sexual ethics and marriage. And it's for that reason that churches and Christians must speak out on these topics. We must show others that God's Word is true and relevant to every area of life and that these are issues that God's Word speaks to time and time again, clearly. We are to be salt and light. We are to preserve what's good and to illuminate truth, to expose what is evil. How do we do that? Very briefly, three practical ways we can do this to be salt and light. The first is use your voice. Use your voice. Paul says in Ephesians 4.15, we are to speak the truth in love. In 1 Peter 3.15, Peter says we're to be ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that we have. And Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 4 two, and I know he's t- talking to a pastor about preaching, but I think these principles apply to all of us as Christians. He says, Preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season to correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience in teaching. For the time will come. For the time is now. He would have to write today. When people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. But as for you, exercise self-control in everything, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Whether from the pulpit to the water cooler or on Facebook or Twitter, we are called to be truth tellers. We cannot be content, again, with just being that silent majority. We can't just keep this stuff to ourselves. In 2009, uh, right after Tiger Woods had that car accident and it kind of brought to light his extramarital affair, Britt Hume was talking on Fox News about uh, Tiger Woods' Buddhist beliefs and how Buddhism doesn't allow for forgiveness and redemption, which it doesn't. And so he then urged Tiger to, quote, turn to the Christian faith and you can make a total recovery and be a great example to the world. Well, As you can imagine, people's heads exploded when he said this. And one Washington Post writer criticized Hume writing this. Hume doesn't really have the authority to say this, does he? Unless one believes that every Christian by mandate must proselytize. Um... Yes, we believe that every Christian by mandate must proselytize. It's called the Great Commission. Yes, we are mandated to share the gospel. We are mandated to go to people of other faiths and present Jesus to them and make our case for the gospel. Yes, Mr. Washington Post writer, that is what we believe. Our faith and convictions are not something we can just keep to ourselves. We are called to speak God's truth into the culture in which we live to address the matters of importance to God to share the gospel of Jesus and make disciples from all nations and generations. We use our voice. Secondly, cast your vote. Uh Uh-oh, David. Getting dangerous now, talking about voting. According to the polls right now, the reasons that people are siding for how they're going to vote in these midterm elections are, and I know this is a shocker, inflation, rising gas prices concerns over foreign policy, especially Russia and China, immigration at the southern border, and the responses to COVID. So people are using those to influence how they're going to vote. Of course, you have those who are just going to vote down party line. They look for that D or that R, and that's who they vote for every time. As Christians, our vote should have to do more with eternity than the economy. It should be based on principles, not personalities. We shouldn't vote so much because of what party we belong to, but who we are called to be in Christ Jesus. As American Christians, listen, we have a unique opportunity and responsibility when it comes to how we connect and relate with our government. Now, I talked last week from Romans chapter 13, and when we talk about religious liberty in a few weeks, I'll touch on it again, where it talks about submitting to the governing authorities. Remember that from last week? How does that apply to us as Americans? We don't live in imperial Rome. The governed, the authority of our government comes from the consent of the governed, right? From us. We're a government of, by, and for the people. Now, does that mean that we can pick and choose what laws we want to follow? Wade says, nope. <laughs> no. Any law enforcement officer would say, Nope. If I pull you over for speeding, doesn't matter whether you like the law or not, you're getting a ticket. Exactly. We must still be subject to our elected representatives, not just the ones we voted for. Not just the ones that we like or agree with. This whole idea of not my president is ridiculous. Yes. Like it or not, he's your president. Like it or not, the last guy was your president. That's part of being subject to the governing authorities. But we can petition our government for change. We can challenge laws in court. And we can vote to change who our leaders and representatives are. So we have to ask ourselves, who would Jesus vote for? Would Jesus vote for a candidate who supports abortion on demand for any reason, up to and including the moment of birth? Would Jesus vote for a candidate who supports same-sex marriage? Would Jesus vote for a candidate who stands opposed to things that his word clearly teaches? If Jesus wouldn't vote for that person, why should you? In Romans 1, Paul warns us that it is not only those who commit heinous sins that God will punish, but those who applaud and approve of them. Now, listen, there's no candidate you're going to vote for that's perfect. None. They're all flawed. They're all sinful. Every one of them. Just like you and me. But we have to ask ourselves what do they applaud? What do they approve of? We should always cast our ballots prayerfully, asking for God's guidance as revealed in His Word. We use our voice, we cast our vote, and third, be visible. Because ultimately being salt and light comes down to not what you say and not how you vote, but how are you living your life. How we live speaks so much louder than what we say. How we treat others, how we conduct our business, how we spend our time and our money are all ways that clearly and visibly demonstrate what we really believe about God and His Word. Or as Jesus said, in Matthew 5.16, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. If we're going to pray for God's kingdom to come and His will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, we have to live in such a way that we can be a part of the answer to that prayer. Amen? Are we being salt and light in our culture or have we compromised and lost our distinctiveness and are good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot? Have we become so spiritually dim that we cannot see ourselves, much less reveal the truth to others? Are we hiding our light under a basket? Are you living in that truth? Has the light of Christ dawned in your heart? You may be sitting here today and you may say, David, I've done some of these things. I've been racist. I've said racist things. I've had racist thoughts. I've mistreated people. David, I've committed sexual sins. I've been greedy and selfish. I've got my own vices. Maybe you've even had an abortion. I want you to hear this clearly today. Jesus Christ loves you just as you are. He died on the cross for you. And His arms are wide open. It doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you've believed or thought in the past. It doesn't matter. He stands ready to receive you if you would but come. Lay your guilt and your shame. Lay your past and your sins at His feet. And let Him wash you clean and make you new. That's the gospel we're talking about today. It's not about doing the right thing. It's not about getting everything correct. It's about striving to live in the truth of God which has as its foundation that we're all sinners in need of grace. Maybe you should come this morning. Now you may be saying, David, I agree 100% with everything you've said and I've not done any of those things so I guess I'm good to go. Wrong. Just as we will all equally stand around the throne of God praising His name in heaven, we as sinners all stand equally around the cross on level ground. Because we're all sinners. We just have different kinds of sin. We all need His grace and mercy. And if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, if you've never asked Him into your life and surrendered to Him as your Lord and Savior, I invite you to come today. Let the light of God shine in your heart and clear away the dust and the dirt and the cobwebs. Let that mighty rushing wind of His Spirit blow through your life and make you new today. Maybe you have another reason to come to pray, to pray for someone, to unite with this church whatever God is laying on your heart. Let's be obedient. Let's stand and sing together. Let's pray first, Father. We love you. We thank you so much for your word. Your word is like a double-edged sword. Father, it is it is a sword that heals the wounds. As we sang in that song earlier. Yes, it pierces. Yes, it cuts. Yes, it's it's uncomfortable as it reveals our sin and it reveals our mistaken beliefs at times as it corrects us. But it also brings life and healing if we will submit to Your Spirit. And I pray this morning, if there's anyone here today that needs to submit to Your Spirit, to come in faith and receive salvation in Jesus Christ, to come in repentance of a sin in their life and a desire to rededicate their life to following Jesus Christ, or maybe to come and unite with this church family to worship and serve and grow here. Father, may we be obedient to the Spirit and the Word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.